The Cozy Robot Show. Hey, Cozy Robots. I'm Mike McCarg. And I'm Grace Vaughn. And if I look different, and if I <laughs> sound different, don't adjust your eyes or your ears. Uh, immediately before the show, both my audio interface that I've used since the first episode of Ask Science Mike in 2014... And my camera stopped working, so we are on a speakerphone for my voice and a webcam for my video. So if it looks and sounds different, that's just for this week. Next week, we will be back to normal. Uh, and welcome to the Cozy Robot Show, where we talk about empathetic skepticism, which is how we get in touch with our feelings and understand other people's feelings and have empathy for them, as well as having a critical look at the world where we use our minds to understand biases in our own views and in media, and in general, try to figure out how to build a better world together. And uh, wow, wow, this is wild. No headphones, no, <laughs> no microphone. Headphones. I feel either so free or so terrified. I'm not sure which. I was going to say, it might feel a little freeing to not be uh, burdened by the headphones and the mic and the sitting in the right position. And I don't know. You would think, but I've, I've realized <laughs> what I associate doing the work with is like I put my headphones on and then I hear my voice in the headphones. And I'm like, oh, we're making a show. Yeah. And now I'm like, we're, had a, we're having a Zoom call. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it quickly changes genre of uh, the, recording genre. really fast. So, if you've ever wondered what my office looks like, because I usually look this way for the camera, for those of you watching instead of listening, those of you listening, this makes no sense. You know, this <laughs> is a, a different angle and you can see more of my office and whatever. It's, it's hey, it's behind the scenes content. It you is. You know what this I mean? Just, this is just for the folks who tune in live and watch <laughs> That's right. Instagram That's TV right. and YouTube. Our live streamers, uh, you can join us every week, by the way, if you're listening on the podcast. We'd love to see you Monday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Otherwise, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, keep listening. It'll just be kind of a funky show this week because the speakerphone. It's going to be um, kind of a funky week as far as tech goes. But as far as get a load of this transition, Mike, as far as our fantastic guest co-host goes, not funky at all. Uh, can, can I just can I tell on something before you even say who it is? Please uh, go. I yes. so enjoyed the pre-show conversation with this guest. I literally forgot we were having a show. Never Grace happens. had to remind me. I did. I had to look at the clock and be like, uh, we have one minute to go. And I hated interrupting because it was a fantastic conversation. And maybe we can jump back into a conversation very similar to what we were talking about pre-show. Indeed. But uh, before we get into what we were talking about, all that, let me introduce you to our guest co-host. So tonight, we are joined by Pathfinder activist and storyteller Mia Birdsong. Through her podcast with The Nation, titled More Than Enough, Mia discussed the concept of guaranteed income or universal basic income. In her book, How We Show Up, Mia wrote about community and how the so-called American dream can leave us, quote, lonely, disconnected, and unsatisfied. And you may also know Mia from not one, but two fabulous TED Talks, the story we tell about poverty isn't true, and an interview with the founders of Black Lives Matter. In short, Mia Birdsong is the very definition of a Renaissance woman, and we are honored mm -hmm. to have her on the show this evening. Mm -hmm. Mia, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm so glad to be here. Ooh, little dance. I love it. I was too frazzled where I joined, so... Uh, I'm going to have to do what I usually do off camera, which is freak up, 
freak out about how lucky I feel that you're on the show with us. I mean, double double TED Talks. Yes. And they're so good. I uh, rewatched the story we tell about poverty isn't true today, and I cried again as I have every time I've seen it. So beautifully stated. So so what I love is like the the gentleness and the empathy with which you shared the shattering truth of the kind of context <laughs> right. of our society. Right. Like but like that's, that's a right. that's a tough needle to thread. Yeah, I feel like um a lot of my work is shattering myths, but they're mm-hmm. usually myths that I held to and that I was very attached to. Mm-hmm. Um so I know what it means to hold them and then mm. to have them however they're like kind of unraveled for you um, and revealed to be utter lies. And totally, <laughs> yeah. Um, utter lies. And then yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like taking your headphones off, right? Mm. It is the, mm. the headphones, the, the like myth is this like cozy place and you know what it is and what the boundaries are. And then you take the headphones off and it's like, fuck. Um, like it is liberating, but is also terrifying. It is both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden the the path that we thought we were on or the um the orientation we had toward our place in the world and what it was we like how we get the things that we think we need um mm-hmm. like all that's tossed aside and then it's very it's unmooring mm. have this um this piece of art that i want someone to make for me it's a triptych um anybody out there can do this for me i I know it's it is a black background and it's a white line drawing and the first image you see is a um a black woman in like an astronaut suit and um she's just like the the uh you see her and Mm -hmm. then it backs up a little bit and you see that the cord that connects her to the ship is broken and then it backs it's a different angle and you see that she has a jetpack on and then you well no it's a triptych i can't remember what the first image is i think the first image might be the broken cord anyway and then you see he backs up a little bit more and you see that the ship is like headed toward you know a black hole or a star or something and for me it's this metaphor for what like becoming free is like right it is you're attached to this thing it's grounding even if it if there are things you don't like about it like you know what it is and then you're let free from it and you feel like you're floating and you don't know where you're going. And then you recognize that you have some agency and you can mm-hmm. do something. And that the thing you were attached to is probably going to kill you. It's a piece of art that I want someone to make for me. You heard it here, folks. It, we're live. So it, get get that to Mia ASAP. If you're an illustrator or cartoonist. Yeah, we, we have artists in the audience, I am sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tonight, Mia, we could have talked to you about so many things. We could have talked to you about beekeeping all night. We might still do that. Um, Don't tempt me, Grace. I know, I know. I know you would love that. I mean, that's what our pre-show conversation totally was about. It was amazing. Uh, But because of uh, your wealth of expertise and knowledge, Mia, we went with three very broad but just three topics. So we chose community, 
connection and activism. So tonight, if you're listening on the podcast later, uh, when we release this on Wednesday, or if you're live tonight, you will notice that all the questions have something to do with community connection and activism. Um, okay, so without further ado. I don't usually look at the questions ahead of time. Uh, I did glance this week and wow, Cozy Robots bringing the good questions. I'm impressed. You guys showed up. Uh, without further ado, let's get to those questions. All right. So Lauren Hope Dennis on Instagram asks, do you, Mia, do you have any suggestions for building a strong community in your thirties? So I'm assuming that part of what Lauren is, is contending with is that like, not, you know, when you're like a kid or in college, um, so much of a community is kind of built through your education. Um, and in your thirties, things start to shift. And I think this is true of building community in general. Like if, even if you, you know, if you move across the country or whatever, things change and you need to figure out how to build community. I think one of the things that we should do first is identify what we want from community, right? Like, what are we needing more of in our lives? What are you needing less of? Um, what are you wanting to move toward in your own evolution? And what might support that? And what worries you or feels shitty about like not having strong community? So I think identifying those things first makes sense. And then I think there's a piece that's about identifying what is it, what it is you have to offer or how you'd like to show up more powerfully or more clearly or more consistently. And, and who, who is it that you want to be in community with? So what is it you want and need? What is it you have to offer? And then I might, and this is like, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't actually think that there's a, a specific formula for building community, but I think people um, very much struggle with this and I get asked a lot. So I'm giving you a kind of formula or steps, um, but this is not by any means like a definitive way to build community. So I think the other thing is um, doing an inventory of who you're spending your time on and your energy, your time with and your energy on, right? Who is, um, who are you with most of the time? And how do those relationships align with the things that you want and need and the things you have to offer? Mm. And then you can see like, where is this, where is community working for me? And where is there some um, misalignment with what it is that I like who I am? And then I think there's a piece that's about asking like, what would it look like to shift your time and energy to the people who can give you what you need and, and, and for whom you can show up in the ways that you would like to? Are there people that you would spend less time with and less energy on. And I think that's, it's important to recognize that those are two related, but different things, right? There are people we don't spend a lot of time with, but yeah. we spend a lot of energy on them. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then like, who would you bring in closer and how might you go about doing both of those things, shifting away from the folks who, who don't align with what it is you want and bringing in closer to people who do. 
and then thinking about like what kinds of conversations you might need to have. <clears throat> a couple of other things. Telling our friends that we would like to be like closer or better friends with them can totally feel awkward. Um, we don't have really like public models for that. So just know that that's okay, that it's awkward. And you can say, if you're gonna have a conversation with someone, you can be like, hey, like, um, I feel really awkward talking about this, but I wanted to mm -hmm. have this conversation with you. Like give, give them, a, like let them know that something's coming that you might feel uncomfortable about. And if they're kind, um, they'll like consider that. And if they're an asshole, then <laughs> then buy out. Right. <laughs> you find out. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you also might decide that there are people that you need to break up with, um, which is also hard. So just know that like some of, some of being intentional about creating community because we're not, you know, if you if we're asking the questions because it's not something where we necessarily know how to do, which means it can feel strange and weird and awkward. Um, and you know, all kinds of stuff comes up from us for us about like, you know, what if I ask Mike if we can be friends and he's like, or if we can be closer and he's like, no, right? Or what if he feels like he has to say yes because I asked and he doesn't know how to say no, like all of that stuff. So just know that like it can be uncomfortable and awkward and that's okay. Mm. Um, I think you can practice these conversations out loud with yourself or write down what you want to say or ask for help. If there's someone who you feel like you can talk it through with asking them for help. And then finally, like building community, building relationships with people takes time. And part of what I think Lauren is pointing to is that as we get older, it also takes intention. So it's really important to be patient with ourselves and be patient with other people and to know that like if your early attempts like fail to not give up all of us need and long to be in community yeah. so there are other people out there that are wanting the same thing that you want um and you just have to and who are aligned with the things that you need and want and what you have to offer and you just have to find them mm. 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 oh that's so good I've also experienced, I guess it's one of the 30s, I guess my late 30s, you know, when you're socialized as white and male, especially, now this is going to be true for anybody kind of in the West, but especially more white and more male identity, there's such a pressure to be self-sufficient. <laughs> yes. Right? Like not have needs, not reveal needs, like um, you got to be self-sufficient, you've got to you've got to perform and by perform, I mean, like have output, like producing work, not just at work, but like in life. Yes. And so even your friendships are kind of like output oriented. And a dear friend of mine kind of called me out on how I was a, a good listener and a good learner, which is some work, but like not a great friend in that, uh, I went into the hospital and I didn't really tell anybody because uh, I didn't want to admit like I had a need, right? I didn't want to burden or bother anyone. And so um, several of my friends invited me out of self-sufficiency and into interdependence after that. 
And what a wonderful transition that has been. Um, it's so because I, I would I would view I would view prior to that transition any role I played in any kind of social restoration or justice work, no matter if I even if I said the right language, there was a subtext of white saviorism. Because if I'm self-sufficient, I don't need anything. I'm only here to offer, right? right? Then I'm not actually engaging in real relationship. And so kind of as a little asterisk on all the brilliance Mia shared with us already, for those of us who are more white and more male, I'd say also like examine how comfortable are you telling people like, I need to talk to people. I need friendships. I'm at the end of my rope financially. I don't know what to do. Do you have any advice? Like, <laughs> just just lean out of that kind of you're an island and into your a tree in a forest of other trees, a shared canopy and a shared root system. Mm. That's such a beautiful image, and I think it's important for us to also to know that like that's who we fundamentally are as people. We are social animals. Mm-hmm. We are physi- physiologically like wired for interdependence. And the more we can lean into that and recognize that we need each other, I feel like the more we find the safety we need, right? The sense of purpose and belonging that we need. Um, You know, I think so many of us are kind of walking through life trying to produce, trying to, um, like trying to move to whatever we think is next because we're searching for something and we haven't figured out that the thing that we are searching for is each other Mm. and is place a place, um, among other humans where we feel deeply seen and known and cared for um, which requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability, right? Which like, yeah. <laughs> is like so uncomfortable. But in that place, um, we can actually be our like whole ass selves. And um, like, that's what's waiting for us, right? That's what's waiting for us on the other side of like the things that are hard and awkward and, and terrifying is mm-hmm. your whole ass self. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's gold. <laughs> That's gold. Excuse me while I have a little tear. <laughs> Going off of our conversation about community, so let's stay in the community sphere for a second. Liam God's visuals on Instagram asks, how do we create or foster community without manipulating people. Ooh, somebody's been to church. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a particular patron. You might have to like help me with this question because um, I don't like in my, like, I don't understand why manipulation would be um, a thing that is so is like so pervasive in one's experience of building community that we feel like we need to avoid it. Mm-hmm. So, in my <laughs> prior work, uh, 
both my first book and the first podcast I made had to do with people who are kind of survived white evangelical Christianity. And so we were all trained and conditioned, even as children, that the reason you got to know people who weren't Christians was to convince them to be Christians so they didn't go to hell. Wow. And then that's the that's the the family system and the social fabric we were raised in. And then your friends who were Christian, well, your job with them was to be like their accountability and living a, a biblical life. And so there was this in just an unimaginable amount of constant indoctrination to like use manipulation and friendship. Now I don't know for sure that's where that question's coming from, but given the number of people who kind of followed from that work over into this show, uh, a lot of the mental health work we do has to do with like <laughs> the, the basic emotional tool sets and relational skills that other people just kind of grew up with. Right. And uh, we we did not. Um, and so, you know, for me, that's been an incredible amount of work in my life is learning how to just be with people instead of being with people as a means to some end with that person. Mm. Um, and that's that's not easy work. You're, you're talking about uh, a whole cloth reimagination of how to relate to other people. And then once you reimagine it, you know it's kind of easier to get the ideas than it is to implement it as like actual emotional tools in your life and, and, and translate that into some lived experience. Um, what so do, you, I think, do you have like, so I think partly I want to just tell this person that like, that's not actually how it usually is. Right. But like the, the norm for people, I mean, we're all getting something from relationships, but it is not, um, calculated and it's not manipulative. I think like the norm for human beings is that that's not what's happening. Um, so you have a whole opportunity to step into something else. But I'm wondering what your like top three things would be for this, like pieces of advice would be for this person. I'm guessing that there's a piece that really is about noticing your mm -hmm. own self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the the first rung on the ladder I took towards uh, getting out of that headspace was like a mindfulness practice, learning to discern what my feelings were. And this is big, learning what my needs were. Mm. So I didn't have the ability to articulate. Somebody said, like, what do you want or what do you need? I couldn't have told you that. What I'd been conditioned to do was sort of um, outsource my intuition so mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted or needed, uh, but I would try to almost subconsciously project what I wanted or needed and then try to get other people to perform that for me. And I would kind of try to do the same for them. We have a term for that in psychology. It's called enmeshment. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of enmeshment, a lot of I, I would call um, institutional codependency, like codependency on massive scales. And so the first step for me was that that noticing, like, what do I want? What do I need in step one? Step two is vocalizing it, right? And that's a huge step because then you feel like if I name that, you know what? I'm not in the mood for spaghetti or whatever, whatever mundane thing. At first, that feels like this. You're redoing the work you're supposed to do. You're two or three when you go, 
know, right? Like you're doing it for the first time in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s. Um, and then the third step is realizing there's like, you can take your own ownership over your feelings and wants and needs. That's not actually anybody else's job. And like, I think those, the one, two, three punch there. And so if we think about that in community, it means like you foster community by saying like, back to me as answer the first question, I need friends in my life. You know what? I really like you. I'd like to go further in friendship if you're open to that. And you know what? I've realized this person, uh, there's an energy here that I'm not comfortable with. There's a lot of demands. There's a lot of manipulation. I can either, you know, put boundaries around that or that might just not be a relationship I invest a lot of energy into. And for many of us, those are radical new concepts that we are learning to put into practice in our adult lives. I'm also curious about, um, you know, I tend to think we we go on these journeys of transformation um, and growth for ourselves, and we often forget that there are other people who are also doing the same thing. And if we talk to them about it, that like we can get help, we can help each mm-hmm. other. Um, and I think it one, it makes us feel not so kind of weird or alone and what we're doing what doing it like helps to know that there are other people who are struggling with the same things um then you have someone who can talk to about it and they know you know they understand you and they understand what it is you're contending with um and just like it's a you know so you're not so you're not trying to figure things out but i mean i think we get into this i do this all the time i'm like i try to figure something out by myself and then i'm like oh i can ask for help <laughs> like who's like an expert in that and I'd be like call them up or text them and be like, Hey, can you help me think about this? And they're like, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's part of it is like reminding ourselves that, that, that doing the work with other people is also helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to a new question that actually has to do with specifically activism. So we're talking about struggling and asking for help, and maybe that has something to do with the answer for this next question. I don't know. Madison from Instagram, and I know Madison. Hi, Madison. Madison from Instagram asks, how do I not lose hope or be burnt out when when systemic problems are so big and I'm so small? Yes. So... You are absolutely right about how I think about this question. Because I think we all often feel overwhelmed by the shittiness of things that are going on in the world, by the entrenchedness of it. Like, shit's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, And, like, how the hell are we supposed to do anything about it? So part of it, I think, is making sure that you're engaging in the places that bring you a sense of meaning and purpose, right? There are, there is a wide array of things that I care about, but that I'm not like engaging with. Mm -hmm. So I care about polar bears, right? I'm not... I mean, this is not a very good example, Um, but like, I'm not like, there are things that I'm just like, I care about that thing. I'm not doing because we can't do everything. So I think part of it is about like choosing what is our work Mm -hmm. to do. 
And part of it is recognizing that you're not the only person on the planet, right? Like all of the burden of fixing all of the problems is not sitting on your individual shoulders. Um, we are linking elbows with all of the people who are on the planet right now. We are also doing generational work, right? We, we are receiving um, what was done, both good and bad, from the people before us. And part of our job is to pass something better on to the people who come after us. And the work is not going to be done in our lifetimes. So we want to make sure we're, we're just moving it. We're doing whatever is ours to do while we're here. Mm-hmm. Just our work. We don't have to do everybody else's work. So I think part of it is about like creating a sense of like understanding maybe what all the things are, but just knowing like, this is the piece that I'm going to do. And for me, it's important that, that if I'm going to sustain it, if I'm going to continue to do it for my entire lifetime, it has to be something that brings me meaning. It has to be something that brings me purpose. It has to be something that brings me joy, Mm -hmm. right? My activism like, yes, it is painful and it is hard and it can be traumatic, but like it fundamentally brings me joy mm-hmm. because it is, it is like work I'm doing out in the world, but it's also work I'm doing on myself. And then of course it is work I'm doing with other people. The way that I don't feel like helpless and burnt out and small is that I'm doing this work in community with other people. And I think that particularly now, and I know everybody says this, but there's a way in which the activism that we plug into through social media um, can be important, but it often feels very empty, right? You're just like shouting out into a void um, or to followers, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like like so much of my activism is happening with actual human beings that I know. Um, in community with them, in connection with them. And that is where it's one of the best places to build community for me, right? Mm -hmm. These are people whose values align with mine. It's people who share a common sense of purpose. Um, And then I just find the ones who like have my same sense of humor. (laughs) Hone in. (laughs) Aren't assholes, right? Right. (laughs) Overlapping like little Venn diagrams Mm -hmm. that you need. Um, but for me that, that, um, the, the values alignment and the sense of purpose just like is such a, a like rich place to build community. Um, mm. and I don't like, I am, I mean, I'm constitutionally a very, um, hopeful person, but I don't, I don't, I don't burn out from wanting to do activism work very often. Occasionally something like horrific will happen and I feel lost Um, but it is usually because I've disconnected in some way and I'm observing whatever it is from a distance. And then when I plug back in with my folks and we talk about like this thing that's happening in the world or this thing that's happening in our community, um, then I feel less hopeless and less burned out. I'm so glad you said that. Um, I certainly speak on matters of the day on social media. And I think that can be an important awareness building tool. But I've never had a social media post, no matter how effective it was at like hitting whatever metrics it hits, that felt gratifying or important in any way. And it's always it's the like relational work, the 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 in person advocacy, 
the demonstrating, the direct actions, the planning to do those things that you find like life and sustenance and richness. Uh, and it, that, gosh, that is such an important insight for people to get. Yeah. You know, I think of um, Austin Channing Brown's book, um, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And she has this thing where she talks about the shadow of hope. Like there's things we're working for, might not see in our lives. So we live in the shadow of the hope of things to come. But what I loved about that image and that metaphor is you're not living alone in that shadow, right? You're living with other people working towards something like you may or may not see the 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 eventual work of, yeah. but um, you still find the sustenance regardless. And I and I and I'm I want to emphasize like finding joy in it. Mm-hmm. Like I am a like mostly happy person, right? I am living in America as a black woman and I am loving the fuck out of my life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am having fun. I am mm-hmm. enjoying myself. I experience pleasure. Like my life is good. And I think that um, part of it is about, there's this future that we're trying to build. Yes. What Priscilla just said. Yeah. Thank you. In the chat. Yeah. Like the way that the way that she just said this thing mm-hmm. about planting seeds for the future, the way that we get to the future is not by creating a um, plan with metrics and benchmarks and, you know, a strategic plan and whiteboards and things like that. The way that we get to the future we want is by practicing it right now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are ways in which we can't practice it because like systems don't allow us to do that. But with each other, right? Like, I'm like, create, like the culture that we want to live in for the future, I'm like, create that among your community. How do you want to, what would you like life to be like, right? What are the things that you could do in relationship with your community that are not necessarily what the rest of the world is practicing, right? They're not necessarily like the dominant way of doing things, but you can do those things with each other. And sometimes it is really just mindset. Like if we think about, how um, our culture is so focused on consumption and accumulation and hoarding and scarcity, right? How do you create space in in your relationships where you are focused on abundance Mm -hmm. and enough Mm -hmm. and sharing and making sure that everyone's taken care of, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can do that with the people I'm in relationship with. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think, and for me, like that is like creating those kind of containers for myself is where I can experience so much joy and so much happiness and so much pleasure and so much love. Mm -hmm. On that note, Mm -hmm. we have to go to the ads. (laughs) Time to pay the bills. Yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, right after the beautiful message about abundance and I'm like, all right. And remember the the capitalist society we do, we do exist in. (laughs) We got to be in both places. We can be in all the places. I suppose so. All right. All right. Well, let's go figure out an abundance of impressions for our sponsors. Well, we have a lot of fun on the Cozy Robot Show, and that fun would be impossible without the support of our sponsors. 
And we've got some great ones to tell you about this week, starting with our friends over at BetterHelp. If you listen to the Cozy Robot Show or have read any of my books, you know I care a lot about mental health. I actually believe that mental health support is the key, not only to healthier people, but a healthier society. And that's why I love that BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable mental health services. Over 1 million people have used BetterHelp so far, and more do every day. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleep issues, anyone have those in their life, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and LGBTQ matters. I absolutely love BetterHelp. Why? Because I can see a therapist without finding a parking spot. Not only that, I can see a therapist without finding a therapist. The way BetterHelp works is when you first visit their site, you fill out a questionnaire, and that helps a team of experts at BetterHelp connect you with a counselor that you're going to love. And what if you don't? What if it's not quite a fit? It can be awkward to try to find therapists. In fact, finding a therapist usually involves talking to and interviewing multiple candidates. Well, BetterHelp helps you out there as well because they will find you a new therapist at any time, no additional charge, no questions asked because they care about your mental health needs. So once you have your therapist, you connect completely digitally via text, chat, uh, phone calls, or video calls. It's a really easy way to get the support that you deserve. I use it every day. And as a listener or viewer of the Cozy Robot Show, you can get 10% off your first month service by visiting betterhelp.com slash cozy robots. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash cozy robots. We'd also like to tell you this week about NordPass, and I'd like to start by giving you a little advice. Take it from me. I've got a background in information security, and I know statistically the following is true. Your password sucks. <laughs> like Whatever password you're using, whether you use it on a bunch of sites or you think you're clever by changing some numbers at the end, you have a pretty easy-to-crack password. And there's no need to do that in this age of hackers. I mean, do you watch the news? Do you see how often sites get cracked and credentials get leaked? The only way to prevent that is by using high-entropy, unique passwords. What does that mean? Using complex passwords that you use only once and don't reuse ever. Well, I can't remember five passwords, much less 500. And that's what a password manager does for you. And NordPass is one of the best. It's a new generation of password management where security meets simplicity. That's brought to you by the cybersecurity experts who built NordVPN, the award-winning advanced online security and privacy app trusted by more than 14 million users worldwide. So uh, they are absolutely uh, a next-generation password manager. It lets you store all your passwords in one place. It can organize your logins, of course, and then secure them behind a single secure but memorable master passwords. They let you share passwords easily and securely with friends and, and family when that's appropriate for things like credential sharing for streaming services. They also help you shop online with ease. They'll fill in your password and your credit card information securely. They also, and I think this is really helpful, have a data breach scanner. They'll let you know when a site has been hacked and your credentials have been compromised so that you can take steps to secure your account 
generally before a bad actor has a chance to access it. So they're a fantastic service, really, really good. I can't recommend them enough. And they've got a summer kickoff sale for our Cozy Robot friends. If you go to nordpass.com slash cozy, you'll get 70% off your service as long as you use the code COZY, plus you'll get an additional month for free. Again, that is nordpass.com slash cozy and use the coupon code COZY. Get started with Nordpass today. So when we left off, we were talking about activism and we're... Before my ad read. (laughs) A beautiful statement about a a beautiful world. I know what skills I have. That's mainly reading ads. Well, you did very well, Mike. Um, So Chris at Christine Lule on Instagram says, I am so tired. Is it okay if I just take care of my family right now and not advocate for a season and this is in response to activism and kind of the conversation we've been having yes i mean you can do what you want <laughs> you don't need <laughs> <laughs> all right next question <laughs> yeah yeah <You> know, great <laughs> i mean i think when i hear a question like that i i do think that there is a way in which uh this person feels guilty about wanting to take a break um, and is asking for permission. And I'm not going to give you permission um, because that's not my job. (laughs) Only you can decide um, if you need to take a break. I will say that, you know, we live in a culture that glorifies um, tiredness and um, being like heading toward burnout and, um, like pushing ourselves to um, a place that is unhealthy and not resting. Um, And that's so fucked up and toxic and problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes, that certainly exists in our workplaces, but I think it also exists in, um, in anything that we're doing. I mean, this is a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, just like this, this like perpetual need we have in all of the places of our lives to be producing and to be demonstrating that we are being productive. And that's because we live in a society that has socialized us. I mean, definitely the United States, probably any place in the West, um, socialized us to understand our value as being conferred by productivity. We have to earn our personhood. So I'm here to tell all of us, myself included, the things that we need to live a life of well-being are things that we are all entitled to. We do not have to do anything to earn them, and there is nothing we can do to unearn them. Mm-hmm. Like, emblazon this on your heart. You are deserving you are worthy because you exist. Mm. You need to take time because we've all just survived, you know, a year and some change of a horrific, traumatic pandemic. If you need to take a little bit of time to just focus on yourself and your family, and I'm and you didn't mention yourself, but I'm saying you should be taking care of yourself. 
mm-hmm. and not advocate for a season, mm-hmm. you're not again. No, no problem that exists in the world is on your shoulders. Somebody else is also working on that thing that you're taking a break from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to give you permission <laughs> because that's something that you need to decide for yourself. I'm not going to absolve you of guilt because the guilt's not mine to absolve you of. I think it's really important that mm-hmm. we are examining where that feeling of guilt comes from. Because I think many of us, especially if we hold power and privilege, um, are trying to demonstrate that we're good, right? We're trying mm-hmm. to like do it right. I'm doing air quotes for the people listening, right? We're trying, we want to, we want other people to see and validate our goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, we're trying to like earn cookies or gold stars. There's no, there, no one's going to give you gold star. There's like, it's so much is about like, what is it that is required for you to live in your integrity aligned with your values and what do you need to be, how do you need to be showing up to do that? Mm-hmm. I had some heart trouble, I don't know how long ago, a couple years. And I got put Is on. Is you were in the hospital? Yeah, yeah, heart stuff. And, uh, and I got put on like medically required rest after heart stuff. And, um, there was that, I realized the profound truth of what you're saying right now and that needing to prove goodness to others and to myself through productivity, both in work and in life. But I also realized how much I worked compulsively to manage and regulate my feelings or more accurately avoid regulating my feelings, right? So, you know, even though I desperately needed rest to the point my body was starting to fail, it was incredibly difficult because without the distraction of the workload that was making me so tired and unhealthy, all I was left with was me. It all starts like bubbling up all that stuff that you've just been like shoving down and like working through and not looking at. And all of a sudden you're, there's stillness and there's room and all your shit comes up. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are so wise. They're so wise. Mm. I, I know that many of you have had the experience of like, getting yeah just like working 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 and getting sick because your body's like i'm gonna force yeah. you mm-hmm. to fucking stop you need to take a break and it is both like our body physically needs to take a break but like our we also just emotionally need to take a break and to like and to, to be allowed to feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i want to go back to what you were saying about 
mindfulness as being the place we start to understand how we be in relationship with other people. Um, like we have a relationship with ourselves, mm. right? Like that relationship um, needs to be one of our priorities. Mm-hmm. And we ignore that relationship by working too hard, whether that's by being productive at, you know, a paid, paid labor, or we do it by taking care of other people. Mm-hmm. And then we find that we're looking for something, right? Like, again, we're like, we keep seeking because we're not settled. We're not comfortable. And the thing that we actually need is to get into relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm saying all this, not because I have successfully done all this stuff. (laughs) I am very much a work in progress. (laughs) But that's good to know, because then it, it, for... I mean, I have two therapists right now. I have a coach. I have like multiple like gatherings where we like work on our shit. Like I am, I'm like deep in the weeds of my stuff. Um, and there's just like a whole lot to work on there. Um, you know, and also like, you're never done. Right. You're not going to like, six, like finish it. it all and then you're like, yes, now I'm a right. whole finished person. <laughs> I did it today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Mia, I know that you're still figuring it out, <laughs> but you also said something earlier that I, I could just hear it ricocheting through the listeners and viewers of the program. And that was, I have joy. Oh, I have a good time, right? What, yeah. and, and and sometimes we're so deep in the, the production economy. I realized one day years ago that I hadn't experienced joy in a decade. I was, I was so numb to myself in the art of being productive and serving others mm-hmm. that I was just, limp and lifeless and wondering why I so often had thoughts of taking my life, right? And so I just want to validate the goodness and rightness and wellness of the work you're doing and the value of it. Because uh, it, it is truly profound to experience joy in all of this, <laughs> right? That is a true gift mercy grace yeah i mean i think that i recognize it as like a birthright and one that i insist on claiming now while i'm here Mm -hmm. um you know i my family is hilarious right so there's like part of the joy is definitely laughter There's a lot of laughter, but part of it is like going outside and standing barefoot and just like feeling the sun on my face or as we, let's talk about the bees. I was hoping you would go to the bees. bees. I will like sit to the side of my hive Mm -hmm. and just watch the bee traffic like for a long time and just like be (laughs) present. present with the bees um because they're just like you know doing their thing i mean like let's be clear they're they're very productive (laughs) (laughs) like they're not modeling like how i want to be in the world 
but there's just something you know and especially just like the more i've learned about them it's like knowing how they're just utterly fascinating and just seeing them like do their, they're kind of clumsy they like will come in and try to land on the the entryway and like bump into each other and like there's just like so they're just like all this like activity that's just fascinating to watch um yeah. It's the same, like, I will go and, you know, I have a, I have a little city farm here. So I've got my chickens who are completely entertaining. <laughs> I had no idea. They occasionally will, like, do this thing where it sounds like, you know, one of them will make a noise and it sounds like they remembered something really funny <laughs> that somebody said it. <laughs> like this little chuckle. Um, like, they're, you know, I'm just like, and, and a lot of it for me, a lot of the joy piece is like, is the just being present, right? So whether it is like with my kids or with my friends or in the garden or watching the chickens or, you know, checking out the crows who have, I'm trying to make friends with. Um, so much of it is just about like, how do I be present to what is like beautiful or interesting or fascinating or just like captures my, you know, attention in this moment and like be in it. You know, my, my, my husband's birthday was uh, last month and um, he'd like seen some video for some place in Oakland where we live that they had like pastrami sandwiches and they're supposed to be really good. So for his birthday, he wanted to go get a pastrami sandwich. I don't care about pastrami sandwiches, but it's a man's birthday. So I'm like, okay, we'll go, we'll go get, you know, and we drive over there and we see the line and, you know, you see, you know, of course it's a long line. They're only open like one day a week and they're just been this like article that came out about them or something. So we go, we figure it's going to be like an hour standing in this line. Two hours oh, in. Lord. We're like, we've already spent two hours, right? And surely to God, it can't be that much longer. <laughs> I shit you not. From the time we got in the line to the time I had a pastrami sandwich in my hand was five Holy hours. Wow. <laughs> there is no pastrami sandwich that is five hours good. I can make my own in less than five hours. Right. But for probably four hours and 15 minutes of that time, I'm just like standing with my awesome husband and we're like talking about stuff and talking, you know, chatting with other people in line, like talking about how ridiculous <laughs> it is. Like, like we're genuinely enjoying ourselves. Mm -hmm. The last 45 minutes, our blood sugar was low. <laughs> Things started getting <laughs> worrisome. Like that was not good. But like, a lot of, I was like, I was like, do I want to be standing in a line waiting for a fucking sandwich? Of course not. But I'm standing, there's no one I would rather stand in line for a sandwich with than my husband. And we're just like, mm -hmm. you know, hanging out. Mm -hmm. So I feel like even in that, and right, and, and we knew, we were like, you know, once we got to like, after two and a half, three hours, we were like, this is going to be really funny, like in a month. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was just like, I was like, I can, I can be irritated this whole time, or I can like enjoy this person that I love. Um, and I'd rather, you know, like I said, I'd rather be home, but whatever. So I think like, I'm just, I'm really, and like, like I said, I'm working on this. One of my, my goals right now is to like spend less time being annoyed. Um, because I just hold on to my annoyance and irritation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, so I'm definitely working on this, but I feel like there are so many moments when I can just like let go of 
like whatever my picture was about how something was going to be or my expectation or where I'm going, right? Like I'm trying to get someplace and be like, oh, look at this whole fucking amazingness that I live in. Like there's life on this planet in the whole ass universe. We have plastic things and cars and lip gloss. Like that's bananas and amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm growing these poppies that look like you want to eat them. Mm. (laughs) Like they're gorgeous. So much just like interesting shit. And it's not all beautiful. Some of it's disgusting. Like the crows. crows. I was telling you all earlier, the crows that I've been feeding and they bring me presents. And what the first present I got from the crow was a mouse (laughs) skin. Completely like no bones, no flesh with the claws and the jaw still attached. It was in in, in some water. It was disgusting, but I was thrilled (laughs) by this because I'm like, oh, I left the crows some peanuts and they brought me mouse skin. (laughs) How cool is that? Mm. There's joy to be had for us. Mm. Gosh. That, uh... Uh, yeah, I guess I've kind of always loved nature in the abstract and had like an environmentalist sensibility um but after my heart stuff and i one of the things the cardiologist recommended to me was um bird watching which meant bird feeders and like things to get the birds to come visit and i i went hard like i got super into it i've it, it has remained kind of my absolute favorite thing and um you know, that, that connection, it reminds, you know, I think about the mouse skin and the peanuts. It starts to dissolve that separation between us and the rest of the world. Uh, one night we were, at, I was in the, our living room with my family. I like to keep all the windows open unless we it's oppressively hot because I like to see what the birds are doing. And it was getting dark and we were talking and I saw just this drop. I said, oh no. Oh no, that was either a rat jumping off the roof or a bird struck something and fell. Oh no. Now I didn't say anything because either of those situations, I didn't want to like, I've I've got two daughters. I didn't want to like either open the door to a rat or a dead bird with an audience. I just kind of head over there and go outside. And there was a little finch, a juvenile, flighted, but recently so. And, um, it was dark enough, the finch couldn't fly anymore, and was basically had flown towards our porch light, but then hit the header above the porch, and was okay, and was hopping around, and did not want to try to fly out into the dark again. But I knew the porch would not be a safe place overnight, so I kind of signaled, like, bring me a towel, I was going to wrap the finch in a towel, take it out in the yard to a tree where it'd be safer. And I got the towel, and I was reaching for the finch, and the finch was just like, Hey, what's up? Like, no, like, fleeing, nothing. And so I, like, set the towel down, and the finch hopped on the towel, and I said, is this really about to happen? (laughs) And I held out my finger. Oh, my God. And the little finch just, boop, jumped right onto my finger. And I I don't think I've ever been happier. And I walked out, like, into our, our front garden, and I held my finger up to a tree where I've seen a lot of finches nest and spend the night. And he looked at me, he, I know he's a he, um, and he chirped at me. 
And uh, I was like, it's okay, just go on. And then he jumped off my finger into the tree. And it was just like uh, the investment of all the time spent, which was already so rewarding, um, just has sustained me on hard days, that moment. That sense of connection, that sense of groundedness, that sense of being a part of a greater world. And um, no matter what kind of community we're building or what kind of advocacy we're doing, something that pulls us out of our heads and into our bodies and from our bodies into the ground yes. is so important to me. You know, we, I mean, this is also one of the things that capitalism has done for us, to us, is, is given us this false idea. This is one of the myths, right? Mm -hmm. That we are separate from nature. Mm -hmm. I'm like, we are right. nature. Mm -hmm. Like we are, are in relationship, not just with other humans, but with the finches and the bees and the crows and the redwoods and the ocean and the mountains. Mm -hmm. We are of the planet. Mm -hmm. And remembering, I feel like, especially during COVID, like being reminded, reminding myself of that connection has helped me not feel so alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm going outside and standing on the soil in my bare feet and just like feeling gravity, mm -hmm. right? Which is the earth holding you. Mm. Like the earth is holding us all the time and will not let us go. Like that's beautiful and amazing to me. And it feels good. Yeah, that's good. I think anytime we feel lost or hopeless or overwhelmed, to close your eyes and take a breath and feel gravity pulling on the bottom of your feet, underside of your chin, you know, your thighs, if you're sitting down, wherever it is that your body is facing the earth and feeling or holding you. And just know that no matter what's happening, she is not going to let you go. Thank you, Mia. Thank you. Thank you. Truly. Grace. Yes. I assume everybody is going to just want to hear more from Mia and know more about Mia, and they'll be able to do that in the in the, the video description. Stuff, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, so everything I mentioned at the top in the intro will be included in the video description, and you'll be able to follow Mia on socials by checking out that video description when we release the video later on in the week. And I'm gonna do my best to. Uh, do the outro. Mia, I've been so moved by our time and our conversation. I'm just on the edge of the most wonderful weepies. So <laughs> I try to pull it together to read the uh, read the outro, but I just I've so treasured our time today. Your presence, your knowledge, your wisdom, and the the 
the freedom with which you share it. I'm just so, so deeply grateful. Thank you. And the Cozy Robot Show, as always, is made by the most talented and supportive team in the entire world. That's not my opinion. That's objective. Fact. <laughs> so, I'd like to thank the people who make the show possible, like each and every Cozy Robot. Now, yes. Cozy Robots, I love you. I will also not be at the after party this week. It's Macy, my daughter's birthday, and we're going to do a family dinner. But I'll be back at the after party next week. I hope you have a great time without me. Uh, our producers are Tanner Hearn, Victory Palmazano, and Greg Nordine. Our music was written and recorded by Madison and Macy McCarg. Happy birthday, Macy. Production support by Amy Hill, social media management Grace Vaughn, designed by Sydney Smith, motion graphic design Landon Satterfield, set design Jesse Lane, interiors, wardrobe stylist and craft services Jenny McCarg. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We can't wait to talk with you again next week. Be well, friends. Take care. Bye, everybody. The Cozy Robot Show.